HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Comté-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E-USA.com. This week, Meat and Three is taking you to market and all over the world, from Newfoundland to Tunisia. A lot of us think of, you know, the British Empire trading things like spices and sugar and silk. But you write that it actually began with salt cod from Newfoundland. (laughs) There was a port closure in Tunisia, which was horrible. I mean, it was months. Boats just setting on the water waiting to go and they couldn't go anywhere. And we'll learn about how markets have changed, whether because of their customers or the climate. A few years ago, something around 10 years it was uh, totally different. It almost manifests itself to almost smelling like an old fire pit. When you, mm-hmm. when you put it out, it has that sort of charcoal smell to it. It's not good for wine. Join us this week on Meat and 3 for our global market tour. And don't forget to subscribe to Meat and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santagade. On today's show, we'll be discussing the escalating threat of tariffs on cheeses imported from the European Union. This topic has been simmering since early this spring, and I'm afraid it's come to a full-blown boil. The potential 100% tariffs on cheeses imported from the EU look like they may become a reality just in time for the industry's busiest season. While these tariffs most obviously impact the producers of those products, businesses and individuals at every link in the supply food in the specialty food food supply chain stand to feel the pain. The Specialty Food Association estimates that 14,000 domestic businesses will be adversely impacted should these tariffs be implemented. Today we'll talk about the current situation, how we got here, what might happen next, and why this issue matters to anyone who loves artisan cheese. To help me in shedding more light on all of this, I'm happy to welcome Stephanie Ciano back to the show. Stephanie, welcome to Cutting the Curd. 
Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So Stephanie is the vice president of international purchasing at World's Best Cheese, one of the major specialty cheese distributors here in the U.S. I figure what better person to take us through the details of this I don't know. Is this officially a trade war? We're considering um, it. It's it not as not quite as big it, yeah. in China, <laughs> not quite as big as the China situation, I suppose, globally. But for the specialty cheese industry, it is right. It is, and I think it will affect everybody that goes to the grocery store and tries to buy foods, cheese, olive oils. You know, it affects every pretty much everything coming out of the EU um, that we use every day. So I think it's going to have a massive impact. Right, because it, this isn't just – so to to sort of take a step back and give some context for our listeners, this is – cheese is a major category that uh, is the focus of these potential tariffs. But this is a – 400 different line items are on the list for uh, these, like, retaliatory tariffs. And 100 of those line items are food and beverage categories. Is that it, true? Exactly. There's mm. wine, whiskey, coffee, uh, you know, olives, olive oil um, mm. for cheese, all cow's milk cheese and sheep milk cheese. Um, the only one that's off the hook is goat milk mm. um, cheese, but it's it's really going to have a massive impact, you know, as well as there's other um, items like copper and things to do with fuselage and um, Mm-hmm. And aircraft, which are more those, appropriate right. to the topic. <laughs> those relate more to the heart of the dispute, which is... Correct. Rem- now, correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but for any listeners who are, have kind of tuned in on the... Once cheese got involved, the origin of the dispute is actually between Boeing and Airbus. Is that correct? That's correct. It dates back to 2004 um, when the World Trade Organization found... Um, air, the, um, you know, basically pe- is penalizing uh, the Europeans. They're finding the EU is making subsidies for Airbus, mm-hmm. making an untra- unfair trade environment for Boeing. Um, and it's been going on and off um, dispute over the last 15 years. Um, and again, the World Trade Organization had found um, Airbus guilty, um, hmm. you know, and had put, ter- you know, trade um you know, kind of penalties against them that have not been paid um, back in 2017. Um, so in, on April 8th of this year, in 2019, um, Washington um, had said enough is enough and um, that, you know, the case has been in litigation for too long and there's been um, now that it's time for action. Hmm. Uh, they were going to do um, punitive um, countermeasure tariffs, um, which will be up to 100% tariffs. Mm-hmm. And all of these items, and it's you know it's going to be you know cheese, olive oil, olives, dry pasta, hams, waffles, fruit juices, yogurt, butter, whiskey, scotch, wine, mussels, octopus, cockles, wow. you know, as well as a, a bunch of non-food items as well. Right. Um, so I think it's going to have a massive impact on the whole specialty food industry. And when you say that Washington decided it, I, I was, as I was looking into this, um, kind of doing some research before the show, I was curious sure. about like, what does that mean? Like, who's deciding this? And I found that it's, you know, you'll hear references of the U.S. trade representative as the actual person. There's a human being, Ambassador yes. Ro- Robert, do you know how to say his last name? <laughs> Lighthizer? <laughs> 
It might yeah, be... Lighthizer. Lighthizer? <laughs> That's the phonetic yeah. spelling, maybe? Yeah. Anyway, he's an ambassador that, and he was nominated mm-hmm. by President Trump and confirmed by the Senate. Um, actually found out that it was an 82 to 14 vote. So maybe later in the well, show, as we talk about how people can give feedback to their elected representatives, maybe that's one way. Mm, um, but definitely. then it's, I guess it's technically, it is a cabinet level position, but it's not, he's not technically in the cabinet. So that's right. kind of like where this directive is coming from for anyone who hadn't sort of traced that back to like where exactly in Washington. Um, right. And it just sounds like uh, it is exploding uh, in the moment, like the, over the last month, it seems to have escalated. I understand that there were there, there have been a few drafts of the list of products, and there was a hearing last week with um, there was okay, so yes. did you have any insight into how that hearing went, what the goal of that um, hearing was? I did actually um, Ron Tanner from the specialty food trade organization was down there, and they had a actually quite a few lawyers representing different, um, you know, uh, companies within our industry, like, um, mm-hmm. Gellert Global Group was down there. Mm-hmm. Um, Owners of the, like, yes, the, um, National Milk Producers Federation, the Olive Oil Growers Council of California, um, Specialty Food Associations, the Cheese Importers of Amer- Association of America mm-hmm. was there. Um, DeBruno Brothers had a lawyer, uh, representing, there mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, you know, basically, um, you know, they had other organizations too that the, the tariffs would be affecting their businesses. And they were, you know, making arguments about the loss of employees, about, how, you know, how many employees they have and, mm-hmm. you know, the percentage of business they expected to lose. Um, and, you know, from I did the next day on the 6th, I attended a um, kind of a emergency um, meeting that was put on by the Specialty Food Association, um, kind of a question and answer session mm-hmm. that we called in um, just to get an update on the meeting. And they had said that, you know, the members that were hearing um, the, the, law, the lawyers basically in the testimony were asking questions like, are there um, products that can be you know, bought in the USA as a substitute for those items. Mm. Um, and the impression they were getting is that the tariffs are going to go through, absolutely, wow. and that this, the items that were going to have the most impact on the list would be staying on the list, you know, something like Parmigiano-Reggiano, um, that they were, you know, choosing these items carefully to basically pack the biggest punch. Right, and um, that punch and, is for, is, let me know if I'm understanding it correctly, the punch is to pressure the representatives of these different countries in the European Union's, Union so that they then uh, pressure the union to stop subsidizing Correct. the Airbus business. Correct. Got it. So if so if the French government starts to have a disaster, an you know sort of an economic upheaval in their cheese exporting business, they'll be then pressured to speak up and try to basically take sides with the United States in a way. 
Exactly. That's what the they're goal. what they're doing is, you know, they're trying to get all of um, these associations, like a consortium for Parmigiano Reggiano, which is, you know, it's a multi-million dollar, mm-hmm. excuse me, billion billion dollar business. <laughs> um, <laughs> got the wrong uh, first letter there. Billion. <laughs> Add another zero. Business. <laughs> yeah, or a few. Exactly. Um, so um, they're, you know, they basically want to have everybody in an uproar about it, um, so that they will go back and kind of, you know, stop the subsidies for Airbus. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, you know, in my estimation, it's really an unfair um, penalty because it has nothing to do with our industry. And this is really going to kill things at a grassroots level, you know, going right back to farms um, and, you know, could really cause an economic recession in a massive way, both in the U.S. and in Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. So the the repercussions are going to be massive. Um, so this goes through. I know that years ago during the George W. Bush administration, there was a similar type of tariff sort of battle going on. Uh, and Roquefort cheese was the big the victim of that in terms of, I think, the, the big, the most well-known cheese. Is, was, that a, right. was that a similar situation? Uh, it was. It was a punitive tariff um, levied on France on Roquefort, um, and it was over the beef exportation um, that the United States wanted to sell beef to Europe, and Europe mm-hmm. would not accept it because we used hormones um, in our beef. And um, so, you know, Europe had rejected it. And, and coincidentally and oddly enough, the, the beef tariff actually just passed that they're, that Europe is actually going to be starting to buy American beef. Mm. Um, this happened while we were at the ACS. I think it was like August 2nd, um, after, you know, however many years, 15 years or so, you know, they finally agreed to take the U.S. beef. Um, so bizarre. Yes. And it's like when this first, uh, the tariff first hit on Roker, you know, none of us ever expected it to last as long as it did. We all thought it'd be done in months. Um, and it really ended up lasting for 10 years. Um, and, and how did you, you know, at World's Best, in terms of your purchasing and your sales, how did you, uh, in that scenario, respond to that tariff? Like, were there different phases, especially since it lasted so long? Um, Absolutely. And how you handled was, it? At the time, I was actually it was um, with my father's company, Crystal Food. Oh, right, Court. Crystal Food, um, before so it was... It was, yeah, it was before uh, World's Best. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the time we did try to stock up on the product for a little while and then, you know, it, it became <laughs> inevitable. We had to reorder, um, but the sales had basically dropped 80%, wow. um, you know, from what they were, mm-hmm. people were still buying the product, um, but the price was double. So, um, Rupert was selling at that time for close to $60 a pound, wow. um, which is kind of insane. Um, totally. you know, it was still falling out in trickles. You know, but that was, you know, one blue cheese, which, you know, I think that, you know, only a certain percentage of Americans would be impacted by that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, it's sort of like a one percent type of thing. Right. Um, the, the scope and the scale of the tariffs that we're talking about today are completely massive. You know, you're talking right. about everyday household type items. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not talking about only fancy cheeses. You're talking right. about everyday items. And categories that are much more broadly sold. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, in general, you know, Parmigiano Reggiano is the number one piece sold in any cheese shop by mm-hmm. volume. 
Um, and that's going to be the biggest hit right there. But you're also talking about basics like breeze and your goods and, uh, you know, really heavy hitter, heavy volume items. And a lot of these are really not replaceable um, with domestic products. You know, even there was an attempt to increase production. It would take them a couple of years to right. get up to speed. Um, and they would have to completely change their infrastructure, you know, with the, how many animals they had, their cheese-making right. capacity, their, their staff, um, and they would have no guarantee of when the tariff would get lifted. Right. Um, so if they had taken out loans to um, upgrade their facility and increase their production, right. they could be caught with the heavy bill at the end, and then the tariff gets lifted. And, the and then they have all this product. product Right. It floods in and their sales go down there, you know, it could potentially bankrupt American farmers. Right. Is what it could do. Wow. Um, oh, well, so yeah. we're, it's actually time for a quick break, but I, on that sure. note, um, when we come back, I'm, I'm really eager to talk about, talk in more detail about how this will impact the American based businesses and hear more about, you know, through your lens and your supply chain, um, you know, really how this is going to play out. And also we'll talk a bit about what consumers can do and what listeners can do at this point. Um, so stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. This episode of cutting the curd is brought to you by Conte cheese association. Conte Cheese Association represents the Conte PDO, Conte Protected Designation of Origin in the USA. Conte is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or fruitiers. This milk must be transformed into Conte within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Conte. Conte takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineur on average, each wheel of Conte is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Conte is the same. Its flavors speak to the pastures where the cows grazed, the season in which it was made, the particular craftsmanship of the cheesemaker, and the time spent in the aging cellar. Therefore, every wheel of Conte is unique. Learn more about Conte, an iconic cheese from the Jura Mountains of France, favored by cheesemongers and cheese lovers all over the world. Find out more at Conte-USA.com. That's C-O-M-T-E hyphen U-S-A dot com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Stephanie Ciano, Vice President of International Purchasing at World's Best Cheese. So right before the break, and I have to say, like listening to our mid-roll there, I'm like, what about Comte? <laughs> yep, Comte, Comte is mean, on the chopping block. Oh, yep. Geez, it's crazy. On the chopping block. Um, well, right before the mid-roll, we started talking about how, you know, who's impacted by this. And I mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, obviously the European producers and sort of their supply right. chain on their side are the most obvious 
um, you know, recipients of the blow here. But it is, I think, really interesting to think and talk about how American industry are how the American based businesses are also going to feel this. And um, I guess on in one I guess first we could paint the picture a little bit of who's going to be impacted and how. And then I'm curious right. to hear if you and the team at World's Best are, you know, kind of developing a contingency plan or how you're tackling like the potential. I mean, we still don't know if it's officially going to happen, although it sounds like it will. Um, right. But let's start with uh, who will feel it on this side of the ocean and how. Well, it's going to start first, um, you know, with the importers and, mm-hmm. and basically all the cheesemongers and the retailers are mm-hmm. going to feel it because, you know, inst- we're basically not going to have a lot of warning once it hits. You know, we're right. we're kind of expecting an official announcement in September, mm-hmm. um, but we expect the tariff to roll out by the middle of October. Mm. Um, and what will happen with that if you didn't re- do something beforehand, you know, it basically takes six weeks minimum to get the ocean freight orders together. Right. Um, you know, so you would basically have no warning. You could have your Thanksgiving order on the water that's maybe double your normal size order. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's a hundred percent duty and you have no choice but to pass that along. So the, you know, so the, the tax you know. will be, so the tax yeah. could potentially go into effect after product is ordered, after it's shipped, mid-shipping, oh, yes. it's basically just Correct. before it lands. If it if exactly. it happens before the cheese lands in a facility in the U.S., then it could still be taxed. Exactly. Right? It's right before it enters into customs. Um, so, you know, basically we're in a hustle trying to get it here right. before the tariff landed here right. before, before the tariff hits. Because it, you know, it could be right, just ready to dock, and if tariff hits at that time, you know, right. it'll be um, double the price. Right. Exactly. Double now, for our listeners, for our listeners who aren't buyers or who maybe aren't in the industry, I think it's not mm-hmm. super well known. You know, the timing of. Uh, certain cheese orders, and especially holiday pre-orders, like for, um, you know, for the holiday season, the fourth quarter in the food industry is when we all make all of our money, (laughs) basically. And this is also the time when we bring in extra special cheeses. You might see, you know, uh, longer aged wheels of cheeses that are at the counter regularly, really higher priced special stuff that, um, consumers are a little more willing to splurge on during the holiday season, but generally people are buying a lot more cheese between, would you say, basically the first week in November through New Year's. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, historically it's double whatever you would be doing in August hmm. um, is one, you know, November and December each week is double. Wow. And then Um, on the retailer side of it, there, if a retailer is placing pre-orders and listeners, that's also mm-hmm. the, the opportunity that retailers have to get special cheese. So if you have a specialty retailer that's selling a cheese that you never see anywhere else and it's really awesome and you love it, there's a good chance that that cheese is a pre-order cheese, which means that the retailer is forecasting out their sales at least six weeks ahead and placing that order okay. far in advance. And does that mean that on the distributor side, you are also placing that order even farther Absolutely. out than six weeks? Absolutely. My my orders, for like I do all the purchase, the international purchasing for mm-hmm. World's Best Cheeses, and we're out to the beginning of October now. Mm. 
with all the orders. Um, so, you know, basically so this, you is know, this week, this is the last time I can get anything before the tariff hits. And with some of the hard age cheeses like Parmigiano, sure, you could order extra and you could hold it and it would Absolutely. be fine. But how much, like, what sense do you have well, of your inventory in terms of like how much you could actually stockpile? I mean, this is a highly perishable yeah, product. Yeah, I so. mean, that's the, there's a couple issues at play. Number one on the cheese is the perishability. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a longer shelf life item, then yes, you can stock up you know, not a certain amount of supply. Number two is the money mm-hmm. um, that you're going to tie up on all your inventory. You know, last week I was ordering like crazy right. um, to try to stock up on these hard cheeses and I spent well over a million dollars. And you're not going to be paid. Week. So on your six week or, you know, eight week yeah. lead time, it's like, yeah. that's how long it's going to take for you to even issue the invoice for that cheese, let alone your terms with the retailer. So you're looking at not getting paid for that product on the distributor side for probably, what, two to three, three months probably, right? Yeah, easily, easily. And the problem is, too, is storage capacity. You know, Mm. your warehouse or facility are only so big that you can only stock up a certain amount um, and you run out of room. You know, we've already made the decision to rent some outside outside storage space Mm. to put extra product. Um, So we're really trying to stock up on you know, the longer shelf life items, you know, and it's the more unfortunate hit is going to be the uh, shorter shelf life items. Right. Um, you know, your breeze, the fromage dauphinoise, you know, mm. all of the short shelf life stuff. I can only buy maybe an extra week or two, but otherwise, right. <laughs> you know, the product will just go bad. You can't, right. You There's can't no way to hold it. Mm-hmm. And that's no. an interesting detail that like you're, you know, it's one thing to, you, you know, in this industry, we have such slim margins at every link in the supply chain. And, right. you know, so a lot of these costs just have to get maybe now and then each link could absorb some of it, but generally the consumer is going to be paying the bulk of this margin. Oh, but yeah. for something mm-hmm. like renting that outside cooling space, like that's a cost that right. you're just taking on as part Absolutely. of this whole disaster, yeah. right? Absolutely. And we're working with some of our partners in Europe um, to help fray that a little bit. They've been mm-hmm. trying to get you know, extended shelf life guarantees on products so we could bring more in and not be running up against a problem of dates. And they've been good saying that they would extend our payment terms mm. so that we could take a little bit longer to pay the bill. Um, you know, so, right. it's, you know, a company where I might order normally 12 pallets in a week, you know, last week I just ordered about 70 pallets wow. Wow. Um, for, for the same producer. Wow. That's <laughs> really know? wild. So it's a little, it's a little frightening, um, yeah. you know, that, you know, you play, feel like you're playing with funny money. Um, right. And you're taking you know, on this whole other sort of level of risk in a way. Exactly. I mean, when you're buying four and five months supply, you know, what we're we're trying to do, at least with these hard cheeses, is get us through Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with the soft cheeses, I mean, we won't even make it to Thanksgiving is where we're at. Right. You know, it's it's just not possible, right. you know, given the timing, you know, depending on when it hits, yeah. um, you know. Um, so, I mean, after the large orders are placed, you know, probably small conservative orders, right. you know, expecting at any time the tariff can hit. Right. So, you know, I've heard and read little mentions of like, well, does this 
end up helping the American cheesemakers or does it, is it also going to increase any distribution costs for them? And that's something I was curious to hear your take on. Um, do you foresee kind of like a, a cost of transport issue in terms of having less of these European Union cheeses on the trucks in that stretch well, between Well, absolutely, absolutely, because when, you know, a lot of the, you know, the mongers and the retailers that we work with, you know, say the mix is 50-50 between imported goods and American, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you lose 50% of your weight, um, you know, it changes the cost of their freight um, right. in a significant way. Um, it also makes it like if we lose 30% of our business, um, overnight because that's about what it will amount to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we lost 80% of the imports and only kept 20%, mm-hmm. you know, similar to the Roquefort scenario, um, right. you know, then we'd be looking at it overall being down 30%. You know, wow. um, undoubtedly we'd be losing staff, we'd be losing trucks on the road. Right. You know, then we then we'd have less trucks on the road to service for the American cheeses as well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there'll be a, there'll be a whiplash. Right. Um, you know, and I also expect you know that maybe in the um, short term there could be a like an increase on sales on American cheese. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I think it's going to be a cost, like a supply and demand issue where the cost of the American cheeses will end up going up, mm-hmm. um, because they won't be, be able to keep up with capacity, um, right. production wise, you know, and they would have to change infrastructure, um, to be right, able and to, those, those aren't quick changes to make. I mean, if you're used to no. milking 200 cows and making cheese from yes. that milk, like adding an extra 100 cows is a big, big deal. I don't exactly. think that, that won't exactly. happen quickly. It's, it's not something that can happen overnight. And if you're some of the things you're knocking out of mm-hmm. the competition is like Parmigiano Reggiano, you know, there really is no suitable mm-hmm. substitute for that. And right. it's aged for two years. Right. So even if, you know, American cheesemakers started today to make it, you'd still be looking at two years from now when they're ready. <laughs> right, right. Um, so oh. it's just not, it's not a good scenario. Not at all. So yeah. how are you staying up to date on what's happening? And what do you think is the best way for our listeners to stay plugged into the changes as they come down the pike? Uh, well, there's a couple things happening. The um, Cheese Importers of um, Association of America um, has been issuing some updates. Um, they've been, you know, um, a little on the, the slow side as far as I'm concerned about um, making some of the announcements. Um, but they're a good site to, you know, give an oversight on it. Um, and also the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative um, has been helpful, and I actually have been checking updates on that. They do um, press releases 2019 mm-hmm. and then August. So the most recent one was August 2nd, right before the last meeting. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, we're trying to share information, too, just with other people in the industry, like the Specialty Food um, Trade Association um, has been very good sharing information as yeah. well and keeping updated on it. Um, today is the deadline, actually, the last um, kind of letter-writing campaign. I know. We're in the final hours yeah. here. Listeners, if you're exactly. if you're listening to this on the actual date of release, Monday, August 12th, um, you do have a little bit more time to submit uh, statements. And I think I heard, last I heard, about 2,000 statements had been submitted um, about Excellent. the tariffs. So that's pretty good. Although, held up against the fact that 
that estimate from specialty food that 14,000 American businesses will be impacted. It's kind of right. feels a little bit yeah, like a, a drop slim. in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of surprises me still that a lot of people seem unaware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just visiting a customer of mine. They seem to know, uh, yeah. and they have a wine a wine shop. I'm like, well, this is going to affect pretty much mm-hmm. everything you do. Yikes. So this is a pretty big deal that you need, to, you know, that people should be writing in. It's right. um, www.regulations.gov. Okay, great. Um, and we'll also website. put that we'll put that in the show notes too, so that people have it. Great. And Excellent. is there anything that you're doing to communicate with your customers about sort of the updates, your plan, what they can expect? We are. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. We I sent out a letter on August second to all of our sales staff, east and east and west coast, mm-hmm. um, with the information about what was going on. You know that ninety percent of the cheese imports from the EU. Um, and also olive oils and you know other applicable things to our business. Right, you you um, sell other categories as well that are all on that exactly. list. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to be try to load up on olive oil as well. Um, and you know that these, you know that it was likely to hit the middle of October, and I wanted them to you know forward this information on to all of their customers so mm-hmm. that they could share it as well and they could write in. Right. Um, you know, I feel like the more people know about it, the better, um, that if we have a little yeah. bit of grassroots movement, mm-hmm. um, to make people aware and what the serious impacts of it are, that we have a better chance of stopping it. Yeah. I also um, saw, I saw that the cheese shop of Salem was doing a big campaign, like among their customers that, and that was, yeah. I'm, sh- I, I'm sure they're not the only ones, but that was the one no. sort of retailer to customer campaign that I saw already happening. And it seems like yeah. at this point, maybe be the education campaign is to prepare customers for what might happen price-wise and availability-wise. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I saw it was like Cheese Shop in Darien, Connecticut was announcing it to mm. their customers. The Cheese Shop in Wellesley, Wasix mm-hmm. was announcing it to their customers. And Formaggio Kitchen in Cambridge was announcing it to their customers. Good. You know, it's all, yeah. you know, to show the consumers what a huge impact this is going to have on the things they buy every day and enjoy yeah. um, that you know, they stand a risk not coming in at all. Right. And I think, you know, it's interesting. It's like when you, when you're sort of paying attention to global macroeconomic news, it can feel so Mm -hmm. far removed from your day to day sometimes, you know, and maybe you don't notice that extra, you know, $20 on the price tag of the new piece of technology you want, or that your t-shirt that you're going to buy went up by two or three bucks. But like, it's it just is sort of sheds like a whole new light on how these negotiations and this sort of like gamesmanship on a big level ends up really impacting individuals. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, you know, I've sort of tried to make anyway a little bit of, um, you know, kind of a public thing with Facebook and Instagram and mm-hmm. everything else I can think of to just have people paying attention to it because it's really, you know, when it boils down to is it's going to be the um, consumers, you know, the families going right. to trying to feed their family, going to the supermarket or their, right. you know, local shops trying to buy food and all of a sudden their cost of food has doubled. Right. You know, the, and then not to mention the, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, employ your, your employment, numbers are going to change. And I think Emilio, the De Bruno brothers statement that they, um, submitted for last week's hearing also mentioned that, 
you know, their, their, the jobs, the livelihoods of their employees are, are at risk in a big way too. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly. also, I feel like for the frontline retail staff out there, get your chalkboard art going, get political, yes. like get your, Absolutely. Uh, get your customers. I mean, this, looped is a, in. this is a save your own skin moment mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. You know, I think about shops like, you know, Italy that we work with, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to basically impact almost everything they do. Yeah. Um, you know, it's massive. So, you know, it's going to affect all of us. So let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so appreciative that you took time to chat with me on air about this today. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wish there was more that we could say that people can do at this Mm -hmm. point, but I also do think that coming together, bringing ideas to the table and trying to find creative ways to build the grassroots understanding of this issue might be more powerful, right. you know, than anything else at this point. Definitely. Definitely. And I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, um, that should this hit, which I do expect that it will, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm hoping the outcry will be massive, yeah. um, that, that it will hopefully be short lived. Right. Um, that's for, for us right now, I think that's our best chance is right. that it won't last too long. Right. Well, that's a good yeah. uh, that's a good goal to for yeah. our listeners to plot strategy moving forward here. Be ready for a reaction. <laughs> oh man! Well, I have to say yes. we've yes. we've gone through our show list here or our show length, and um, mm-hmm. I feel like this was really helpful. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for illuminating this situation for us. Listeners, I hope you found this show informative. While the comment period on tariffs has passed, it never hurts to reach out to your elected officials to let them know that this is an issue you care about. The League of Women Voters is also a great site to go to if you're not sure who represents you or how to get in touch with them. Also, a quick note that we'll actually be heading out on our end-of-season break until September. Thanks for listening this season, and please let us know if there's something you'd love for us to cover in an upcoming episode. We'll definitely stay in touch on social media as any tariff news uh, comes to light, so stay tuned in there. And you can always reach us on Twitter as well at Cutting the Curd or over email at Cutting the Curd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. See you in September. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.